Welcome to Women Read Scripture, Come Follow Me. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. I'm Gloriana Tilleman Dick. And we're so happy to have you here with us, Gloriana. Do you want to tell a little bit about yourself? I, there's not too much to tell. I am Annette's daughter, um, her youngest daughter, and uh, I went to school for philosophy and, and religious studies, but um, I it's a nepotistic position that I'm sitting in right now, I have to be honest. <laughs> We're so happy that you're here. It is just wonderful having you with us. I do love reading the scriptures and thinking about them, so there's that. <laughs> and you're a woman. so That is true, so both. they tell me, yeah. <laughs> We love that. Well, we're so excited about today, specifically talking about Matthew, both uh, chapters 11 and 12, and Luke 11. As we're talking about this, I was thinking a lot about Ma- uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, which is some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And a matter of fact, all of us who feel tired all the time can also relate to this beautiful Scripture. And it's, Come unto me... All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want to just first ask a question. How do you feel about rest? I don't know about you, but I'm always trying to find it in my life. Um, What is your thoughts about that? (laughs) I have to say this, Mariana. When I was younger, um, meaning having in the midst of our many, many children, we were driving with my husband through Denver, and we were stopped at a stoplight. And I think it's the Mint. It's one of the big federal buildings in Denver, and it has a marble piece. And on it was emblazoned in gold. It said, If thou desirest rest. And I was like, yes. And we we drove on and I couldn't read the rest. So we came back the next time and I said, stop, I've got to read this. I said, if thou desirest rest, desire not too much. Oh, I love that. I love that. I thought it was so funny. I was very disappointed because I thought this is going to be the key. This is how I get rest. And I realize that this life that we live, where we are anxiously engaged a lot of the time and don't have a lot of rest, is probably a part of this plan to make the most use of the time we've been given. I do desire rest, though. I love that. And, I do, too. I do, and, too. And I, I have been grateful. I think that spiritual rest is the most significant rest that we can receive. Well, I and I think... Too. I, I like that story, and I think it relates to the verses in that it's not, um, Jesus isn't inviting us to just lay down and fall asleep. That's not the type of rest he's speaking about. He invites us to yoke ourselves with him. A yoke isn't something you typically think of as as dawning in order to rest, I think. And, and um, it's not a pillow. It's not a it's pillow. Not a dad, yeah. <laughs> a blanket. Yeah. And um, I am. I'm tired right now, <laughs> but um, I do think that there's uh, there's something Christ says there that sort of gives us a hint in the way that, that he's thinking of rest is a way of of doing work in a way of 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 accomplishing things in a way that leaves us feeling 
um, invigorated and enlivened. Uh, it's not not working. I agree. You know, and looking at this, these verses, just really studying them has been a wonderful experience for me during these past few weeks. And that I first noticed that the Lord is commanding us to do three things. He first commands us to come unto me and then take my yoke upon you. And then third, learn of me. So we have these three different commands that he has us. But then it's interesting if you reread this, kind of putting instead of four, putting in because, and four can mean because, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so for me, just thinking of it that way helped me understand that as I take on the yoke or burden of the Savior, that because he is meek and lowly, he's going to lift me up. He's going to take upon himself my burdens, and that together we get to move together, you know, through some of these difficult times that oftentimes burden us and help us to feel so tired and heavy. And I think of more tired in terms of the things of this world than physically tired, you know, spiritually tired. And there's no doubt that I have felt a great lifting of burden as in each situation of my life, as I've sought to come unto Christ, to take on his yoke, to make his his vision of our purpose, my vision of my purpose, it changes everything in a wonderful way. And I think it's it's also, you know, Christ's life and his words are always instructive. And it's mm-hmm. a good reminder for us that oftentimes we find rest in, not in, in getting rid of our burdens, but in sharing them and in, in, in working through them with others and, and, and helping others to do that and allowing others to help us uh, to overcome those obstacles and, 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 and sort of plow through those, that constant barrage of tasks we have by, by being willing to do it together, not, not just with Christ, but with the people around us, um, we can become more Christ-like. Oh, I agree. Actually, President Nelson in just October 2022 gave a wonderful talk on rest. I mean, that yeah. was his whole point, was overcoming the world to find rest. And his words kind of reflect some of the things that we've already said, but it also made me kind of reflect upon my own life in terms of how much am I relying on the Lord to help me through my burdens? I think all too often we think, okay, I've got to do this on my own, you know, grit our teeth and just struggle through it. And the main thing that, you know, President Nelson is saying is that we also need to bring the Lord into every part of these struggles. And he says, the reward for keeping covenants with God is heavenly power. So as we have these covenants and we bring the Lord into our lives, we have this power that strengthens us to withstand our trials, temptations, and heartaches better. This power eases our way. Those who live the higher laws of Jesus Christ have access to his higher power. Thus, covenant keepers are entitled to a special kind of rest that comes to them through covenantal relationship with God. Despite the distractions and distortions that swirl around us, 
you can find true rest, meaning relief and peace, even amid your vexing problems. As we strive to live the higher laws of Jesus Christ, our hearts and our very natures begin to change. The Savior lifts us above the pole of this fallen world by blessing us with greater charity, humility, generosity, kindness, self-discipline, peace, and rest. So I wanted to ask you, how has the covenants that you have in your life brought you peace and rest? Well, I think that the covenants that we make, which are such beautiful ones, they're an effort to live the gospel in our lives, commitments of of fidelity to our spouses and commitments to family. We can, what I feel is as we are, as I have felt that I've try, I am trying my best to fulfill those covenants and to live them. I feel a peace that the Lord is going to listen and help me. And he doesn't want me to be doing all of that to feel anxious burdened, upset, insecure, unworthy. And, and, and so I think, you know, it, I've, I sometimes have had to sit back and think. My life is directed towards seeking to fulfill and live these covenants in a way that's worthy. And I know that the Lord, just like in some of the parables that we've studied this week, he will not give us a stone when we ask for bread. And he will not give us a serpent when we ask for fish. Um, because, and so I, there's a certain sense that the Lord is good. He loves me. He knows how I'm trying. And as I'm seeking to live my covenants, I can feel, I don't want to say worthy, mm-hmm. but I can feel at peace that he will hear my plea. I love that. I did want to ask a really s- s- a specific question for you, Gloriana, and it goes along with this next part that President Nelson talks about. He said, um, now you may be thinking this sounds more like hard spiritual work than rest to keep up with those covenants, but here's the grand truth. While the world insists that power, possessions, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh bring happiness, they do not. The truth is that it is much more exhausting to seek happiness where you can never find it. My plea to you is to find rest from the intensity, uncertainty, and anguish of this world by overcoming the world through your covenants with God. So my question, though, is I see a lot of our young people wrestling with this, feeling like some of this spiritual work is too much work, and I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I, um, I'm a bit of a misanthrope, so I won't pretend to speak for all young people. <laughs> I got <laughs> I the wrong lady understand. for that. But I will say, I think, I think sometimes when we consider um, these covenants, I'm thinking specifically just about our, the baptismal covenant we read about in Zimmeroni. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so bad with references. But um, um, to comfort those in need of comfort, to mourn with those that mourn. Um, we think of all these things we have to do, mm-hmm. and and the reality is, if we're if we're participating in a church community, we also get to benefit from other people fulfilling those covenants. So it is a lot of work. I wouldn't say it's not a lot of work. You know, I recently moved and I'm in a new ward and I got married and I just I feel wow. like a grown up for the first time <laughs> in my whole life, That's and a lot. and um, that comes along with trying to participate more fully in in sort of 
um, my community and my congregation. And um, I think there, it is a lot of work and it, it takes a lot of effort. I'm not going to underplay that that's a, that's a reality. But I also think by putting in the effort to build those communities and to, to really seek to follow Christ with other people who are trying, you receive so much support that wouldn't be available otherwise. Um, I've, I've never been inclined to, I'm not a big partier. I don't, I, I just, that stuff has never quite resonated with me. So I'm, I can't speak to, to what you're missing out on uh, in that regard. But I will say what you, what you get by really investing your efforts and your energies in, in a community of imperfect people trying their best to, to keep covenants, to keep those baptismal, simple, simple baptismal covenants you make, the first ones, is, is an immense amount of, of strength and, and fortitude available to you and these resources of other people seeking to be Christ-like people, seeking to be there for for you and for the people in your community as you seek to do that yourself. And I think that that is something that's really hard to manufacture else, elsewhere. Like by, it, you, it's hard to take shortcuts yeah. um, to building that type of relationship. And, and it's with people who some of them look more like me, some of them are less like me, you know, different ages, different stages of life. But there is an immense comfort and strength being yoked with these people around us and and in and, and, and doing the work with people, with other people. And I think that's incredibly valuable. Well, and along with that, I love the fact that you say, you know, I think sometimes we make these big, grandiose ideas that I have to do something large, something big, something significant. And yet sometimes it's just the small little things that we're doing in terms of keeping those covenantal relationships that are the most important. A matter of fact, I, I loved this quote by Elder uh, Catcher, Larry S. Catcher, which he talked about in April 2022 General Conference. He talked about this ladder of faith. And he said, you know, we're all on this ladder of faith and that in our day-to-day actions, it is often the small and simple things that have the largest impact, that those are those little tiny steps that bring us up that faith ladder, and that um, oftentimes, and I know sometimes I'll go two steps up the faith ladder and then one step down, but still I'm, I'm a step better than I was the day before. You know, I always go, all right, I'm going in the right direction. And he goes on to say, what we say, how we act, and how we choose to react will influence not only ourselves, but those around us, just like you were saying, that we are in a community of saints. And so we must really look at how not only what we do, those small little things affect us, but how they also affect our families and our church community as well. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think it's different steps for different people too, mm-hmm. right? Like I do. I'm not good with daily scripture study. I wish I was. I love it when I read the scriptures. I feel better when I do, but I just... I haven't gotten that habit down in my life, if I'm being honest. Um, and oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had the wrong place to say that. <laughs> but um, on my mission, I was good with it, but I have to build back oh. up to that. Yeah, but, I, I'm um, going to have to I'm gonna have to do some real remedial work here <laughs> because it is so valuable. But yeah. I will say, I do think I still find ways to to. Do those small daily steps, whether it's it's bringing bringing a neighbor a, a dinner or something like that. You know, 
sending a text to check in on someone who's been having a hard week. Those are also daily steps of discipleship. And I, I think agree. that we need to allow ourselves <laughs> to. <laughs> okay, wait. Mother's going to have a breakdown on this. But no, let me just say this, Noni. I'm really grateful that you mentioned this. You are this. wrong. I, no, no. I'm going to say it, it's an excellent and I'm so grateful you brought it up because it is a perfect example of how when the Lord says, my burden is light, you know, my ways, the things that seem like, and I believe me, there are so many in my life that I haven't oh, been I know. good. I know, you know, <laughs> this is very dangerous because you know, I mean, things that are maybe more important, but over the years, you know, that I have not mastered and that I think I've gotten better at many of them, but um, but I will say that things like scripture study, things like going to church and partaking of the sacrament, these things, they sound like things we have to do. Things like, I'm not going to talk about, but there are things that in the church we do that I read someplace yesterday, it just popped up. You know, I'm, I'm the tech idiot, so things have to come in front of me for me. But it was that, you know, certain things we do are very uncomfortable. And I was like, no, they aren't uncomfortable. I mean, that was my response. It was not uncomfortable at all. Au contraire, very comfortable. But but the thing is that scripture study, for example, which we did try to teach you. Oh, you were I great mean, with scripture study. Really no, did this is try, 100% but, on me. I'm not blaming but anyone. But <laughs> I will say that it is full of hidden sources of peace and strength in our lives. And that is the thing, but I think it's really good that you brought it up because I think that this is the truth with this yoke that the Savior dis talks about. What is the yoke? Yoke is something that puts us together. It holds us in place. It, right. You know, it is a restriction in a, in a way. Um, we have many things that will yoke us in the gospel if we're taking them seriously. Scripture study is one of them. It definitely makes my burden so much lighter. You know, the insights that I receive, because I don't, I go to the scriptures, of course, very selfishly. I'm like, what's in it for me? You know, it, I don't do it just to cover space. It's right. to get the help I need. And I, I'm not saying scripture study is unimportant. Oh, that's I know not you what I'm, No, I'm no, trying, I know you are. What I'm saying is I think each of us, I don't know what kind of ladder things. this would be, but we climb different rungs of the ladder at different times, right? Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of a conversation I had on my mission with this absolutely wonderful, wonderful man. He was the father of a member, and they were taking the lessons. And um, and he, he was a smoker, and he was just a wonderful human being, but he was trying to figure out why he needed to stop smoking if repentance was a tool that was available to him. Sure, because of it, it says you can repent as many times as you need to, and Christ and God will always welcome you back. There's right. no there's no limit. And he was like, why can't I just repent after I have a cigarette? There's no <laughs> good reason why I shouldn't be able to do that according to what you've taught me. And I think this goes to what you were saying, Momo, in that, that I want to get better at scripture study. It's not that I don't, I, I think I can, I can have sort of the measure of my spiritual uh, realization without doing that. But um, what I told him very much through the Holy Ghost, because I'm not even sure if I had the vocabulary to <laughs> convey it to him in, in, in his Mongolian. language. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's not, 
it's not that we shouldn't repent for something multiple times, but it's that when we are returning to our same sins over and over again, that's keeping us farther away from Heavenly Father. The, the, uh, as I understand it, the, the real benefit of repentance is they're just the, it's, it's the momentum by which we take these little steps to Heavenly Father. And, and I think allowing ourselves to rest, to get back to the topic, is being able to pace out how quickly and, and what steps we take when. Well, and I love the, the analogy that you were talking about in terms of as a yoke, we're yoked together. And I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of a situation, but to get into the yoke is difficult. I mean, it takes some time. <laughs> and the problem is, is that when we, we make those choices that take us out of the yoke, some of the problem is getting in and out, in and out, in and out. Yes. And you're right. When we get out of the yoke, when we make those decisions, and oftentimes what he was just, you know, describing was a conscientious decision <laughs> to say, I'm going to step out of the yoke just for a moment, take a cigarette, and then repent, and then come back. And I think in many ways, that would be so much more exhausting, yeah. you know, to get in and out of that yoke situation, then we just stay in the yoke. And that's when the burden is easy and the burden is light. The yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's when we get in the groove. Yeah. And that's kind of what the yoke helps us do yeah. is get into that covenantal groove where it becomes a part of who we are and what our life mm-hmm. is. And I think the example of cigarette smoking is a perfect example. If you can just put it aside. How many blessings will flow from that? And, you know? and how much? And how much health and well-being and and money? Actually, there are all sorts of. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, just by not. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're poor, you know, I mean, I, I mean, if you if it's a cost in your life, which in Mongolia, I'm assuming it was, you know. Yeah, but also it's just you're you're not you can spend your spiritual energy on other things rather exactly. than having your, your relationship with God being centered around sort of you coming back over and over again to repent of the same thing. And he was just an incredibly good man, right? But I do think that that framing it in that way allowed us both to see it was an insight for me as well because I had never thought of it that way before. That That this repentance isn't it's not a punishment, it's a tool to get closer to Heavenly Father. Right. And we can use it in all sorts of ways. Right. But there are certain things we can do with it that get us closer more quickly than we would get otherwise. Well, and Elder Bednar also kind of repeats this before, when, before President Nelson's talk, where he talked about how when we yoke ourselves with the Lord, it truly is a covenantal relationship that we are, you know, we enter the covenant of baptism. That's the yoke that we're entering when we go to the temple and make those covenants that we make there, that that also is that the, the yoke. And so as we think about that, we make certain promises to stay in that yoke. And so that goes back to the things that he's asking us to do. He says, you know, come unto me take my yoke upon you or make those covenants and then learn of me. And so that goes as part, we need to continue forward on that ladder of faith, you know, as we were talking about. But I think it's also interesting going back to Matthew 11, how uh, at the beginning of this chapter, before we have the Lord talking about this, we have an interesting example of someone who has taken it upon himself a yoke of with the Savior, and that is John the Baptist. And we've talked about John the Baptist a lot previously, 
But I think it's interesting to to look at John the Baptist at this point because he is in prison at this point. And I, I know that you have felt very strongly about John the Baptist and about his ministry, Annette. Well, well in particular, I, I will say, you know, I mean, this is one of the joys, Mariana and I, Noni, scriptures, scriptures. They're so oh. wonderful <laughs> because they are reading so them over the and over. <laughs> well, you know, and I am, I am, I've been using Gloriana's scriptures when I come here yeah, and they are full of the most <laughs> wonderful annotations that, you know, so, but, but I will say that coming back to them, there always are new things. And in this particular passage about John the Baptist, um, his, his followers coming to Jesus and saying, he sent us to find out again, are you the one that we are waiting for? Right. And people say, well, didn't John the Baptist know that? You know, I mean, he baptized him. It wasn't that enough. But now he is late. He is in jail. He's waiting. And I could not help but imagine that he felt that his cousin, Jesus, the Messiah, had a plan to spring him from jail. I mean, I just feel that. I mean, this is totally speculative, you guys. But, but I, I guess the the parallel that I thought was with our your sister Charity when she was in the hospital the last time. She had made two absolutely, I mean, bona fide miraculous recoveries. Twice Definitely. she'd been in the hospital, and both times the most serious surgeons and physicians were absolutely convinced there was no way she would make it, and she did. And she not only made it, she came back, roaring back eventually with great and energy and gusto and beauty. And, and this time, Charity and I absolutely felt that was the Lord's plan again. Mm -hmm. And it was hard and it was difficult, but we were not losing faith. And sure. she wasn't losing faith. And at a certain point, and it was interesting because it was, it was near Easter, suddenly as I was praying and reading the scriptures, I realized that... Dying was not a failure of the Lord to release charity or to protect her right. or to bring her rest and to bring her peace. And, um, but it was hard mm -hmm. to accept that. But I, did, I knew that it had been what it was what I had been told. And I feel that these, when they came to the Savior and he said, go back, tell him what you see. I am who he thought I am. But in this, it doesn't say that he would come and save John, though right. it does say in the Joseph Smith translation. Do you have it there, Marianne? Yes, I do. Because I don't have it as easily accessible. So, and I love what he which, says. Well, which verse because are you talking it's about? A, it's because the Savior it's, says that he sent angels to minister unto John. Oh, and right, right. And that's after that he's, he says yes. that he sent angels. I thought that you meant here when he says, you know, John had heard um, in the prison the works of Christ, and he said, and he sent the two disciples and said unto him, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And I, I want to just add a different, because I I agree with you, maybe that's what John was was doing, but I do think that the other thing that John was maybe doing with these disciples was having them understand. I I think John 
knew. We know that he had that, th- that uh, the Holy Ghost came to him, you know, as a sign of the dove at the time that he baptized the Savior, that he knew that he was the Son of God. John the Baptist knew that. Oh, he proclaimed it. But I do think that it's kind of like when we uh, have such a strong faith in something else that takes us away from maybe aligning ourselves, taking on the yoke of Christ. And so I do think that these disciples probably were just holding on to John the Baptist. And because of their love of John the Baptist, they didn't want to go over and, and acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And so John is saying, you go down, go ask him, go ask him. And I almost feel like it's him saying, I want you to understand this so that you'll yoke yourself with Christ. Because I do feel that just like you were describing about your realization about sweet charity, that John probably also knew that you know, he probably was going to enter into the rest of the Lord very soon <laughs> and that his time on earth was probably short. But he wanted his disciples to know who they should look to and who they should hook their yoke with, and yeah. that was Jesus the Christ. I think that is the correct interpretation, Mariana. Oh, I, I do. Think it's, yeah, <laughs> I think it is the correct interpretation. I think it's probably also a process that we have to continually do. You know, we are I so blessed so to have modern revelation and modern prophets and this wonderful structure of the church where we, we have so many resources for, for listening to and interpreting God's word in a lot of different ways. But I think doing that check-in and saying, am I, am I doing Jesus things? We're constantly that. always coming back to Christ himself. And, and of course, utilizing these other resources we have and being grateful for them and, and the, the insights that they give us that we wouldn't be able to access otherwise. But always at the end, coming back to Christ and Christ's words, which we're so blessed to have, and saying, are all of these other, does this support material? Is it supporting what's actually important, which is what Christ told us to do? And that goes right into the next thing we're going to talk well, about well, is that that idea of, you know, Christ. I love that Jesus things. I'm going to take that. <laughs> that, you know, we have to make sure we're doing Jesus things. And, you know, what a, what a great phrase. I'm going to remember that one. Well, you know, then, you know, in this chapter, after this discussion with, with um, John's followers, and I think that you're, I really appreciate what you said, Mariana, because I think that you are right. Um that, that, that John must have known and that he was sending them for them, not for him. To I, I think join that, the yoke of yes. the Savior. And it's hard sometimes to give up when, when you, you know, they loved John the Baptist. Uh, with good reason. With good reason. And we as, love John as, the Baptist too. <laughs> as the Savior says in this, in this really soliloquy about John, right. that of, of people born of woman, there was none greater. And I love that same, in that same phrase, he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what does that mean? I thought about it a lot. I love having the reason to think about each of these things a lot. And I think what it meant was that any human born of their mother, born as we are born normally, comes to the earth and the Savior himself said that, said that none was greater than John the Baptist in that as a man on this earth. And yet, 
in the kingdom of heaven, we must be born again. We must be born, we must humble ourselves to be born of the water and of the spirit. And the greatest show on earth in a man is going to be nothing in the kingdom of heaven without having humbled oneself and made a commitment to that path. Exactly. And I love that. Amen. And then, um, then Jesus moves on to um, the Sabbath. And, the Sabbath. And um, his, in, in chapter 11, um, they are, I mean, he says a number of things before that, but it is clear that that um, the the Pharisees are furious with him and with his followers for doing things on the Sabbath day that are not for, allowed. That right. are that they can, whether it is, and I'm not going to stay only here in this chapter because they are in those next few chapters. There are a number of things. They are walking through a field and they somebody sees some of his disciples taking wheat or corn mm-hmm. some one some say wheat some right. say corn and and just having a eating it and they're saying they did it on the sabbath you can't do that on the sabbath and then the other you know a, an ongoing problem is healing people on the sabbath whether it was the man at the at the um pool of bethesda bethesda um which means house of grace um, and mercy, house of mercy, or whether it was the um, woman with a shriveled hand mm-hmm. in the and and um, in each case, the spiritual leaders or the religious leaders, instead of expressing awe at this wonderful, miraculous power of God, are upset that it's happening on the Sabbath. And Jesus, of course, sees to the heart of it that unfortunately, these practices have usurped the purpose of those practices. The Lord created the Sabbath for man, as he said, not man for the Sabbath. He He's smart. And Noni, you, you were saying he's He's so clever because he doesn't just lecture back at them, though he uses the scriptures a lot. He says, which one of you would not get your sheep out of a ditch? <laughs> we always have heard it, cow in the mire, but, but it says sheep in the ditch, which I could really relate to because I have three sheep. And um, would not get your sheep out of a ditch or would not un- unharness, which you aren't supposed to unharness, your animals and lead them to water on the Sabbath. And they're quiet. Because they know they all would do that. I've done that. How much more this poor man who has come and is laying here because nobody has the mercy to carry him to the water where he believes he'll be healed. Right. I tell him, your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. Or this woman who can't hold anything. anything. Right. And I see her hand and I can make it whole. The Sabbath is for doing good. The Sabbath is for God's, is showing we have the Sabbath because of God's love for us. He wants us to be able to rest. And in the Jewish tradition, it is not only you rest, who is faithful, but your servants rest, the strangers who come into your house rest, your animals are supposed to rest. I loved, I went back to read carefully about the things that are proscribed on the Sabbath. Well, they're proscribed because they want to allow for this 
moment of spiritual and other rest. Now, on the on the other hand, Jesus says when when talking about the corn eating eating on the Sabbath, don't you remember when David with his men right. came to the um temp- to the temple and and um they were hungry and not only did he eat David but his men ate also. That was completely not permitted, but the Lord sanctioned it. Or what about the people working in the temple? They're breaking the Sabbath all the time, which, of course, I thought that was very significant for those of us in our lay faith. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a lay church. All the work is done by people who aren't being paid but are working pretty hard to bring on the, to put together the classes, to have the buildings ready, to administer to the sick and the poor. And we do all of that on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And and it was wonderful. And, and it is not always restful. It is a little bit exhausting, even though it's spiritually uplifting. But it was wonderful to read that again and to understand that, yes, the priests are allowed to work and it is, al- it is allowed for them to break the rules of the Shabbat. The point, of course, was that all of Heavenly Father's rules are given to us in love. Mm-hmm. They are to magnify his love and to let us feel his love profoundly in our lives. And I, I will testify that for me that has been the case in the most difficult circumstances of my life. Through fat fidelity to those rules, to keeping those covenants, I have felt God's love and I have felt those burdens lifted from me. And that is what he is telling the Pharisees and he's pri- not the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, all the leaders of the religious faith. These are the, these are the, what do they call them on the internet when you are trendsetter? You're a, you know, on, no, they say people are, no, people are not opinion makers. Influ- influencers. Influencers. <laughs> influencers. Influencers. They are the influencers. Definitely. The Pharisees were the influencers. They were the ones who told you how to do it and how to do it right. That they were missing the point. And that was his great concern. With, this, with this, the beautiful law of the Sabbath, as well as many other laws, that they were looking for ways to judge people by these laws right. instead of embracing them for the release they give to them. You know, I would, it, I so appreciate all all that you've mentioned. And a matter of fact, I was doing some some reading too. Um, I was was thinking about Alfred Edersheim, who we kind of have mentioned previously in terms of Bruce Amerconky when he's talked about the Sabbath day, but also um, in Jesus the Christ. We also have these wonderful passages that Edersheim wrote about some of the, um, I mean, and I don't want to be critical, but when we read it, sometimes it seems a little ridiculous, some of these little things. Uh, This is just a few. It says, uh, distinctions like the following are made. A radish may be dipped into salt, but not left in it too long, since that would be to make a pickle. A new dress might be put on irrespective of the danger that in so doing it might be torn. Mud on the dress might be crushed in the hand and shaken off, but the dress must not be rubbed for fear of affecting the material. And then if a person took a bath, 
opinions were divided between the Pharisees and Sadducees whether the whole body should be dried at once or limb after limb. So, I mean, that's how kind of crazy we're talking about Sabbath day pickiness were were happening during this time between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I think I think it's so important to bring it back to our own lives because mm-hmm. we I mean I know that before I was a member of the church when I was little I we knew a few members of the church and I knew and it was interesting to me and different that there were many things that they didn't do on Sunday and it was you know it surprised me they didn't do sports you know mm-hmm. just for sports they didn't go to movies they didn't shop they didn't um I'm trying to think of you know but there were a number of things which to me those were enough things to be wow that's Not so different <laughs> um but but um when I once I became a member I remember being very Um, sort of like, I'm going to do this thing now because I got back to school and one of my friends, I had a friend who was sort of my mentor, his name was Chip Rawlings, and he he said, well, on Sunday, really, you know, we don't study. I know that some people have other interpretations and um, we go to church, we try to do things that are restful or service. And I thought that is going to be hard, but I'm going to do it because that was my big study day, you know? And, and, what I discovered for me personally, and I know there are different things, but for me personally, embracing the whole idea of it and dropping all the things that we were, that potentially one could drop was ultimately extremely liberating. I think that my mind was clearer. I know that ultimately that in that semester, not every semester, but in that semester, my grades went up in a dramatic way when I didn't study on Sundays. And I felt that that was maybe to help me learn that I could do so much on my own. And what, what President Benson said, we are so much more with the gospel. The Lord can do so much more with us than we can do by ourselves. And isn't it true that, I mean, I would love your idea on this, Gloriana, that when we talk about these checklists, it's like in order to keep the Sabbath day holy, I have to do check this. I have to do check that. I have to do that check. Um, but that's kind of becoming more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And yeah, and I think I think individuals do sometimes have checklists. I know I I'm not organized enough to function in that way, but I know a lot of people who who they have they have rituals that help them access certain certain states of mind and certain certain. Um, a certain relationship with the day and with their relationship with God. Um, but I also think I love this verse in Matthew 11. Um, it's two verses. It's 18 and 19. Um, and it's Christ speaking. And he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a winebibber <laughs> and a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. And I just think, you know, on one end, that's that's Jesus criticizing the Pharisees for having such a right. narrow view of things and, right. and saying nobody does it right except for us. But on another hand, it's Jesus saying there are so many different ways to express that closeness to God. You can you can be an ascetic. You can go into the wilderness. You can right. eat you know grasshoppers and 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 wear scratchy clothes, or you can you can live 
a, a normal life where you're speaking with people and, and entertaining ideas about God. And that's how you grow closer to them. And both of those are ways we get closer to God. You don't get to say that your way is the only way. It right. doesn't mean that your way isn't a valuable way, but it means that all there are so many differences in our human family. And those differences are expressed in a lot of different ways. And I, I believe that Heavenly Father appreciates those different ways. He right. sees John the ascetic and he sees Jesus the, the wine-bibber and he's able to say, both of those are my children who I love and who are doing so much to, to sort of fulfill the projects I've given them on earth. Um, and I think that when it comes to Sabbath day observance, that I, I appreciate that I was raised in a way where the Sunday was a special day. We right. just didn't do certain things on Sunday. And that was, um, that was a really valuable uh, space to have made for me, to have constructed for me, where I knew you, you sometimes took special days to, to focus on different things. But I also think that it's a, it's a lesson for us that we need to build those spaces for ourselves. And we, it's not our job to go around looking yeah, at other people's spaces that, right? and saying, it doesn't look like mine. <laughs> I, I agree with you in terms of Sabbath day. We're talking about the spirit of the Sabbath day and making sure that we figure out what that means for us yeah. and that we don't judge other people in terms of what they do on Sabbath, which is becoming more like the Pharisees exactly. and Sadducees. And, and the, the biggest problem that the Lord had with this, the Pharisees was the Lord made the Sabbath. He hallowed the Sabbath. He hallowed it so that we would know him. And here were the Pharisees in his presence. I know. the irony, And not the recognize and telling him, don't heal on the Sabbath. <laughs> it was sort of like... You definitely have missed the point. Yeah, you know? miracles aren't I on agree. the list. I agree. <laughs> I, know. I know. Well, and that goes right along with, you know, our, our final kind of point here about my words and actions should reflect what is in my heart. And uh, Gloriana, I know you have some definite thoughts and feelings on that. Yeah, well, um, I think it's, it's funny because there are beautiful verses in this section here, but it also took my mind back to just the great project Christ had while he was on the earth, um, which was, I think, for me, it's exemplized, uh, exemplified most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount and those, those verses about how there are all of these letters of the law, and they're given to us for a purpose. They aren't meaningless. They aren't worthless. They aren't bad, but they're tools to get at something deeper. And um, it's, it's not that you shouldn't commit adultery. It's that you shouldn't have lust in your heart that makes you sort of utilize people as tools to get what you want and those things. And that's what Christ came out and said over and over again. And I feel like these last verses in, in this chapter, um, and I guess in, in Luke 11 as well, which is the other chapter we're reading, right. are just, it's, it's sort of the... the a, a different perspective on that same lesson saying it's not about the actions you do it's about why you're doing those actions what is motivating those actions whether you're whether um where uh, let me find it but basically just it's about coming closer to god because that's what your heart wants to do, not because you want to check off the items in the list, not because you want to look good, but because you're striving 
to get closer to God. And if that's what your purpose is, that will express itself through those actions. And and having acting like the actions themselves are the expression is getting it turned around. The actions are a result of that desire to grow closer to God and 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 do what he's asked you to do. And to express his love to others yeah. as yeah. well. You know, yes. I mean, this is the thing. I love that, that I loved um, in some of the scriptures where it talks about that the fruits, it, you know, that by their fruits shall we know, exactly. you know them. The fruits are our words. Right. I, you know, there's the wonderful passage in James about our mouth being, oh, you know, and our yes. tongue. And, we'll be talking but about that. That one's a good one. But it's wonderful. The, these teachings of the Savior are very pointed mm-hmm. about the importance of the words coming out of our mouths. And are they words of love? Yeah. Are they words of kindness? Are they words of that ref- the, of non-judgment of others, but rather seeking to magnify the love of God. Yeah. And that is, you know, a problem that he has. Well, I have a question for you, Gloriana. If you go to, to Matthew 12, and I'm just looking at um, 34 to 36, it says, uh, you know, the Lord now is, is talking very specifically. I'm, I'm actually going to start with verse 33. The Lord says, either make the tree good, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit, just going by what you're saying. But then if you look at the next verse, he says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things." So my question is, so does that mean that an evil man can never say good things? No, no. And I think that's what I was imperfectly trying to say. I, I, um, I was also looking at uh, these, cha- these verses, 34 and 36 to 36 in Luke 11. In Luke 11, um, right. And it, it says, the light of the body is the eye there. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body is full of light. And when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. And I think what is in here is that light, Jesus describes it in terms of light and light is used to illuminate things it's often it. a tool it's not useful in itself it's useful because it allows others often to see things more clearly and that is you can you can say words and if they aren't actually working to illuminate things they aren't going to be as valuable they aren't going to be indicative of that internal situation mm-hmm. that only we can know but others others will be aware of if, if our, our motivations and our words aren't consistent. You know, Mariana, the question you asked is such an interesting one that, you know, can bad people say good things, Thanks, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that when we say bad people, you know, we, we can't judge people. I agree. And I think that there are different parts of people. And sometimes there I are people that. who maybe in some aspects of their life are not manifesting harmony with the Lord, you know, in certain choices they make and certain um, indulgences they have and certain, and yet there may be a part of them that is still informed 
by that light of Christ. And that that can shine forth sometimes in their words. I mean, we've had leaders who can lead with inspiring words, maybe in other parts of their life, not so inspiring, you know? Oh, I think that's a wonderful point. Yeah, I think I I confronted this in college because I was a philosophy major and, um, oh darn it, I'm forgetting his name. It starts with an H. And he was he was a Nazi. He was he was pretty much just like in with the, the Nazi party in Germany. And I was so mad at myself because I really liked what he said about Some the self the and, and, and <laughs> sort of this internal relationship we had with the self. Not and it's Heidegger. Like, yes, Heidegger. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> got you. it. <laughs> um, you nailed it. But, but I, I feel like I so resonated with his ideas about, you know, about death and, and the personal experience and, and sort of confronting um your your personal experience of life and it was hard for me to say can i value these words when they came from someone who did things that i find absolutely repugnant and unacceptable and i think that that again is just a question of being led by the, the light of christ you can find value and that's i think speaking of the holocaust you know that's something a, a lot of survivors experienced is being able to find value and enlightenment and, and enrichment in the worst possible circumstances. Things. And it's just a, it's oh my a, gosh, yes. a matter of being open to letting Christ and letting God come to you through unexpected venues. And um, that's, that's more about what you're receiving, but I think it can also be about what you're, what you you're putting out. out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Viktor Frankl spoke so beautifully oh, about that in I Man's know. Search for Meaning, that in the darkest, darkest places. And he very humbly said he was not the great embodiment yeah. of it, mm -hmm. but that there were others who he saw who were constantly and perpetually dealing with the most brutal behaviors, and yet they would be thinking of others. And yet they were wanting to share this little piece they had mm -hmm. with some. And he said, those people found meaning in this dark place. And in fact, in our lives, that is one of the great quests, is to find meaning in this experience we're having. Well, and, and that brings me to the Doctrine and Covenants, Section 88. Section 88, for me, is just full of light. I mean, that's the purpose of it, to really understand what light is. But in verses 67 and 68, it, um, the Lord teaches us, And if your eye be single to my glory... Your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you, and that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him. For he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time, and in his own way, and according to his own will. But I love that idea, because as you were talking about, we can be in dark times and still find that light. Because that's it's within us, and then we can also have people that maybe have some darkness, but still are clinging on to some bits of light as well. And I think, in terms of how it affects how we go through the world, light it illuminates. It shows us where to go, where there are obstacles, what we should avoid, right? And so, if we really are operating with that light, it will. You you aren't going to be in a bright room and walk into a chair on purpose that you can right. see, right? right. And so exactly. part of that is letting that light shape how you live your life because it, it illuminates. 
and the landscape you're in. And mm-hmm. the one, since we are women reading scripture, I just will say that even when that darkness is only our own anxiety, our own frustration, our own reacting to a child who isn't doing what you say they should be doing. But, um, but you know... And, and I know and, that's and not Gloriana. Never, <laughs> no, it's never, 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 never. never. But, but we can come back to that place where are we, are we feeling and projecting this light? Because if we are in those moments, we can still feel peace. And we can feel the... I, I believe that that is a gift a, a sense of peace and purpose, even when things aren't easy or going our way, you know, and that is that is one of the gifts of, of embracing this light deeply. And, and that's also going back to this idea of rest that we started with, you know, that we find that rest, that peace. A matter of fact, I, I did want to kind of end with this um, beautiful thought by Elder John A. McCune, where he says this invitation to come unto Christ has specific implications for Latter-day Saints. As members of the Savior's church, we have made covenants with him and have become his spiritually begotten sons and daughters. We have also been given the opportunity to labor with the Lord in inviting others to come unto him. And that goes with your idea that, yes, that's part of that covenantal relationship that we also need to reach out and help others come into the light, help others to understand some of these beautiful um, teachings, but also enter into the yoke that we were talking about too, to have them enjoy the peace and rest that we're discussing. I love that. Thank you, Mariana. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope that all of us can find more peace and rest as we look forward <laughs> to the next week. So thank you for being here with us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.